Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. Donald Trump has been president for a week and it's worse than we thought it was going to be. He's actually doing what he said he was going to do. A man who has contradicted himself for decades. What a terrible time to be consistent. (laughs) The only plus point is he's still having a go at his own security services. Now, given that six out of 44 US presidents have been shot, that seems to be a mistake. (laughs) He's already got a one in seven chance of not making it through the four years. The more he has a go at his own security services, those odds seem to be increasing, don't they? They're supposed to take a bullet for him. My guess is if he keeps slagging them off, there's every chance at just the wrong moment they'll suddenly realise their shoelaces are undone and duck. And then we've had Theresa May going over there talking Brexit. But we now know what Brexit's going to look like. It's going to be a red, white and blue Brexit. What the hell does that mean? Just meaningless guff, isn't it? Red, white and blue Brexit. Given that it's also the colours of the flag of France, of the Netherlands, of Slovenia, Slovakia, the Czech Republic, Croatia and Luxembourg. Red, white and blue. A Brexit that's good for communists, the Ku Klux Klan and Smurfs. (laughs) And in a country that's currently divided, she has said that she is going to introduce for the first time Religiously selective education, which is 100% selective. Now, we had the Casey report, didn't we, on integration? And it said the best way for integration was to get kids to mix at school at an early age. But now we can have 100% religiously selected, segregated schools, but the only test they must pass is that for those schools to be 100% religiously selective, people who from different religions have to be happy to send their kid there if there was any space, which there won't be. But you're thinking that's actually quite a hard test to pass. I mean, let's say, for example, you were part of the Jedi religion. It's most unlikely you'd be happy to send your kid to a school that was 100% Sith. (laughs) 
We had a kid at our school who was Jehovah's Witness. Why would any kid want to go to a school where they were the odd one out? During assemblies, he had to sit outside because he didn't want to be, or his parents didn't want him to be, influenced by the assemblies. But to the best of my knowledge, none of us were influenced by the assemblies. And he was much more influenced by being the odd one out. Because assemblies were hardly ever religious. Mostly, it was just about boring notices, like Mrs E. Smith had had her windows broken on the way to school. Did anybody know who it was? And people were always tempted to suggest the one kid who wasn't in the hall at the time. <laughs> the thing is, if we want a more tolerant Britain, we need kids to grow up around other kids who are different from them, don't we? If we grow up around kids who have got rosary beads or headscarves or skullcaps or whatever, it's commonplace, you know, people are just kids together. Whereas if you say you come across a burger for the first time, you're going to be nervous, aren't you? Whereas if you say you've been to Dubai, if you've been to their water slide park, which is known as Wild Wadi, and you've seen women in full burgers going down giant water slides, You'll never be frightened of burkas ever again because it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. You see these Western women going down these giant water slides in wild wadi then spending two minutes picking their thongs out of their own anus and then you see the local Arab women going down giant water slides in burkas, getting to the bottom, laughing with all their mates because they have effectively gone down a giant water slide fully clothed but with no peripheral vision. And as anybody knows has ever jumped into a swimming pool fully clothed, it is incredibly liberating until you realise you've left your phone in your fucking pocket. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome our three guests for tonight. Bryony Gordon, Telegraph communist, Pete Wishart, SMP MP for Perth, and also Russell Kane. <laughs> It's always nice to share early on as a group, so uh, we, hopefully we, you've come with something that you've been slack about and that maybe in an ideal world you'd be less slack about. Uh, Russell, can you maybe kick us off? Definitely. Um, I wish I'd been less slack about stretching and warming up today. I've been in a dance for Comic Relief, a charity dance where I had to get dressed as Taylor Swift and dance around <laughs> Westfield Shopping Centre. And my neck and back went on the first attempt at the splits. And, uh, I've seen the pictures, it is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, just, I would shake it off and like that. So be less slack about stretching, including on planes. And I used to mock people that stretched on long haul flights. I, I normally get, you know, the... The, uh, the little the DVT socks or whatever you... you well, know no, what I, always, I always get the seat and then in front of me I get the, the sort of lady that's overly diligent, effectively, <laughs> lap dancing me with her deep vein thrombosis dance. It's always really awkward, but I'll never mock that ever again. It, it's better than the people who just uh, throw their seat back as, oh. as you're doing your little stretches and... and I know. Get you. I've seen that in economy. I sometimes walk down and have a look, but... And I, <laughs> Oh, he's changed, isn't he? He's changed. I'm joking. I'm, I'm, I'm a slacktivist. I travel in the hold, in the cargo. <laughs> you do a bit of work for BBC Three, and then, oh, you come all premium economy on me now. <laughs> Lovely. What about you, Barney? Um, I think the thing I should be less slack about is sex with my husband. Yeah. Not that I have sex we're, with other we're people. We're sharing more than I was expecting to tonight. <laughs> have you tried stretching first? <laughs> That's the problem. 
No, but so, like, really, I was thinking about this. I said to him yesterday, I said, darling, when was the last time we had sex? And he said, how old is our daughter? Oh, my God. And I said, three and a half. And he said, that plus nine months? So I think I should be, like, I, I like to share. That's one of the things I do best. It's the only thing I'm very good at is sharing. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, well, it's always nice, to, you know, I suppose in some ways it's, it's nice that you've got your daughter because you can then work out when you did last have sex. You yeah, know, exactly, they're, 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 exactly. <laughs> I, I also, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's quite overrated sex, I think. Right. What's, with my husband, it is. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> well, let's ask some of the other ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you think he's been for the last? <laughs> yeah. Get an opinion, Paul. So, Pete, you're going to you're going to struggle to to. to I, I, there's no I way mean, I could match that one. That's for sure. Stretching and shagging. If Pete. you're having sex with my husband, I'll be really cross. <laughs> I'll see if I could fit both of these in to, to my one, which is get to your show on time because I came from the House of Commons um, this evening, and of course you can't get up Whitehall's absolutely and utterly mobbed with a demonstration against Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Some and of us been there early doors already and then coming on here for a beer. Yeah, so like, I had to make my way back to the Westminster tube station to get up here on time. So in the future, if I promise to be less slack about getting to your show on time if I'm ever invited back on, you know, like after this particularly looks like poor example of slacktivism. I, d- I didn't really quite understand what you were saying there, Pete. But... <laughs> I couldn't work out whether you were being supportive or not, so I'll assume that you were and go, thank you very much. Is that okay? (laughs) Yes, so you're talking about having had a busy day and tricky getting here. Lots going on at the moment, Pete. uh, The Supreme Court voted that Parliament uh, get get to have a say about Brexit. Um, Nigel Farage, obviously not happy about that. Also not happy on the same day, I don't know if you saw this, a BBC News flash... He'd just been given a job on Fox News as an analyst and somebody on BBC News had snuck in a little C into the middle of the word analyst and he was now apparently becoming an anal cyst for for Fox News. Probably a job he's he's pretty much well accustomed to. Yes. But uh, him not the only one, the... SNP not at all happy that, that you don't feel you get a say on, on Brexit either? Well, Scotland overwhelmingly voted to remain in the European Union, 62% of the Scottish people, every local authority area, and we're just determined that we're not going to be dragged out of the European Union against our will, and, you know, I mean, there's a real sense, and a growing sense, an immersion feeling in Scotland that, you know, our voice should be listened to, and there was a big meeting today in Cardiff, which you probably saw, where all the leaders of all the devolved parliaments came together with the Prime Minister and David Davis to see if there's some way that our view could be accommodated. We're not, look, we're not looking for much, we just want a, a recognition that you know, we did something different and we've got different requirements and we want a different outcome and we want to be in a different place you know, from the rest of the UK, which we accept voted to, to leave. So you know, this, this is our well, beef with all this. keep on going to visit David Davis and he keeps on saying he's listening and then he basically just nods his head and ushers them out of the room. But it, at the moment, what happened was, wasn't it, is that Nicola Sturgeon had said, if you're in the single market, then we'll be happy. And if you're not going to be in the single market, then Scotland would like to be in the single market. But that that is quite a tricky thing. If Scotland's in the single market and England isn't, isn't it? You've got free movement between Scotland and the rest (laughs) of Europe, but no free movement between Scotland and England, although they're still part of the same country. Well, the thing is, like, there's no plan for this. There is no blueprint about how you take a nation out of the European Union. So everything's totally up in the air. All, I think all we're saying is that, um, you know, like, there's certain things that we can do which is different from the rest of the UK. And we presented a plan and what we thought was a very modest and well thought out proposal about 
accommodating our place in the United Kingdom because I concede that it wasn't the result I wanted, but the Scotland voted to remain in the UK. So how do we square that with our vote to remain in the European Union? So we thought we'd try and do a compromise deal to see if that would be acceptable. But at this stage, it doesn't seem that they're in the mind to listen to it, no, surprisingly. <laughs> and uh, it's got Labour in absolute turmoil. Uh, the three-line whip for the vote in the next couple of days when two of the whips are going to go and vote against it. So that three-line whip will very quickly become one-line whip as they go, go through the wrong door. Well, so, you, you know, you just get used to the new Labour cabinet and then all of a sudden they're all resigning again, you know, and you're just actually starting to make sort of common cause with whoever's your opposite number with the, the various tasks that we've got. And then they're resigning, you know. They hang around for at least a few months just to see if they can actually do anything with, useful with this post before doing this, but Labour are in a dreadful position, and I don't know quite how they've got to the place where they are, where tomorrow evening they'll, they'll vote for Article 50, effectively saying that the UK should come out of the European Union, and there's massive, massive unhappiness among so many Labour MPs tonight, and you know, I think over the next couple of days it's going to be fascinating listening to some of the contributions from all my colleagues, not just in the Labour Party. So it's two days, folks, if you've not had enough of Brexit, you could be listening to it to 12 o'clock tomorrow night, and then the following evening to 8, Then, if that's not enough for you, there's another three days next week where the House of Commons will debate the committee stage of Brexit. And then the SNP are putting forward 50 amendments to something that's not quite 50 words long. So all that excitement we had. Nicola Sturgeon says that she thinks the, the second referendum for independence almost inevitable. Yeah, I think, I think we're at the stage where this is an inevitability now. We, we've put forward a plan, a proposal that keeps us in the UK, keeps us in the EU. If, if it's just going to be completely disregarded, I think we have to revisit this. I mean, Brexit is one of the, the greatest historic acts of economic, cultural and social self-flagellation. You know, imagine doing this to ourselves. We just want to see if the lifeboat's available for us, see if we could all get on that lifeboat and sail off into, you know, like waters that we know are charted, we know that are secure and works in our interest. And Scotland's in a unique position when it comes to the nations of the United Kingdom that we've got a plan and we've got a means to get out of all this. And so I'm really hoping that where it's might not be necessary, we've got that as a backup plan which will secure our place in the EU. So I think I think we're going to be there. And I think this time we'll decisively win it. I really do. I mean, I think last time round it was, it was all about the uncertainties about... Well, remaining as part of the UK was the safe option yes. economically, and now economically nobody's quite sure exactly what's going on. So it's, uh, you know, with a bit of global warming, Scotland is looking a very attractive prospect, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's funny, I, I, I chair the Scottish Affairs Committee and we're doing an inquiry into Scotland's relationship with the high north and the Arctic. And of course, it's all melting, so we get great trade routes and all, the, all these other opportunities open up for us. So, you know, it's, it's taken advantage of <laughs> emerging no, global no situations. but some yeah. trade. He'll be there during the apocalypse going, <laughs> oh, goody! <laughs> Scotland will get its independence now. There you go. <laughs> So, Brian, you, you were on record for, uh, on the Telegraph for, um, for Christmas, a ban on Brexit talk, possibly with your, your husband. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But uh, you, <laughs> you'd, you'd had enough of Brexit. But given that the negotiations might go on for, for another 10 years, if, you, if you've had enough of Brexit talk now, 
You, you must be worried that your tears will be red, white and blue come... Uh... Well, I, only want, I only wanted a ban on Brexit talk during Christmas. Yes. I'm fine, but it's quite weird. I'm in an unusual situation where I work for a paper, The Telegraph, which is very supportive of Brexit, and, and I'm not. <laughs> um, my dad, who's like a card-carrying Labour member and has stood for council, he's like, you're my little Trojan horse. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we, we do... The problem, the reason I wanted a ban on Brexit chat in my house is because we talk too much about Brexit and not about other things. Yes, no. With no. my husband. Like, like sex. Like sex. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you're talking Brexit, it's, it's not really a good foreplay. I no. Don't think. no. I find it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not good, no, yeah. Are we anyway. in or out? That's precisely the point. <laughs> <laughs> and you, Russell, uh, yes. you, you, you're very much of the get on with it score. In more ways than one, quite possibly. Mm-hmm. I well, I'm a. I wish I could be an original comedian like Jeff Norcott, for example, who's on Question Time in the week. But unfortunately, I'm sort of the Guardian reading <laughs> Remainer. I'm sorry. I know it's unoriginal, but I am. However, all of I mean, literally all of my family and all of my friends, but one, are were Brexit. So all of my. You know, people will, like, say, oh, your Facebook feed's fake. Well, mine was only for the immigrants, Polish, we're getting our country back, <laughs> the whole thing. And a bunch of optimistic middle-class people around me going, it's not really about immigration. And everyone around me is going, I wish Polish people would shut off. I mean, that's what people are saying when the pub door is closed. I know people don't want to hear that, but that is what's being freaking said. And uh, so I was, in a way, in an enviable position of sort of being politically and where I am culturally now, a remainder for all the boring reasons that have been said a hundred times, but at the same time connected to people who genuinely believe that their lives are worse for being joined to Europe. My my mum, my mum's a a cleaner, she was, she's just retired. Uh, Her partner, mum's got a boyfriend. (laughs) Stop shagging my mum. And my mum's partner is 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 a carpenter. And he is convinced, and maybe he's right, but not in the way he thinks, that his wages are going down and he can get less work because of, of migrant labour working for nothing. Which, of course, we argue, because I'm like, yeah, but the reason those migrant labour are being paid nothing is not because of the migrant labour, and then we have a big argument in the pub. But that, so I'm, I've done research on the ground. I haven't just gone, you know, hey, listen to what working class people are saying. You know, that's genuinely my background. So I've been, I was very torn, and in the best way possible. And are you nervous, though, if you're keen to get on with it, the negotiations and Boris Johnson putting him in charge of our diplomatic relations? An act of gross self-harm, isn't it? It'd be like making Jeremy Clarkson ambassador to Argentina or something <laughs> no, like that. No, it was... It is stunning that he is... I mean, of all the jobs you could give him to shut him up, it's not hanging out with foreigners to see what will happen. Uh, you're a very musical people, I believe. Boris, shut up. And, uh, I mean, God knows what's going to happen. I mean, I'm not... A, if, you, if, if you're getting at the second vote thing, I'm not one of those guys. Who are like, let's have the vote again. I think we'd all... You know, we'd be in danger of dying from boredom, the whole country. There'd be no British people left to Brexit. We'd just be withered skeletons that have turned grey from boredom. We've talked ourselves to death. So I do think we need to get on with it. But it's not good enough to go into it blindly. I'm glad Theresa May's got to show her hand a little bit. I was reading in the paper the other day, she's got two advisers, two of which are being paid £70,000 each, when a lot of people struggling and nurses not being paid enough, and all she could come up with was Brexit means Brexit on 140 grand's worth of advice. I'd like some money back, please. Um, so we do, I think it's a good thing she's got to stand up and go, this is what it's going to look like. Let's, well, let's she's, she's obviously just been over to America, the first foreign leader to, to go and see Donald Trump in the White House, and um, they kept on getting her name wrong, didn't they? They, they spelt it yeah, wrong, kept, pronounced yeah, it yeah. wrong. They kept saying sugar tits. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I like, <laughs> <laughs> hey, sugar tits. <laughs> it's not difficult, though, is it? Theresa May. Well, it is not, but apparently... Well, there's a lot of Theresa's. You could be a Theresa. A lot of people Theresa. are tra- t- Theresa as a pronunciation of that name. Well, that's how we pronounced it, wasn't it? And, but apparently the way they spelt it, she is actually a well-known soft porn actress. <laughs> and you, you are one... think they Googled... Well, that's it. He, he, he basically Googled the wrong person and then said, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll have them over first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that why he held her hand. hand, hand by, tr- hand, by hand movement even more illuminating now, doesn't well, it? Well, the reason that, supposedly, do you see the reason what they, he held a hand is that he's afraid of heights. <laughs> yes, I know. It was one step. But you're thinking if he is going to come over on a state visit, surely we take him up the shard, <laughs> don't we? And get him to sign the free trade deal up there and we won't let him down beforehand. He's got, well, he's got a long way to fall, so he wants to watch out. Uh, what, what do we make? What do we make of, um, of him coming over? I mean, it's, it's state short, visit. I mean, the, the, the speed that petition was signed mm. was absolutely quite amazing. I think it now standing at 1,200,000 people have signed the petition to say there shouldn't be a state visit and they shouldn't have the opportunity to meet Her Majesty the Queen when he's across here. And just the speed in this and the response of the British people, I think, has been quite remarkable for this. There's tens of thousands of people in Whitehall tonight protesting. And I think there's something just jars with us and jars with our sense of fair play, our idea of democracy and what we value our role in the world where, you know, he could just blithely say that seven countries, Muslim countries, are just going to be closed and banned from getting to the United States. And there's all the other things, like the building of the wall, there's just something that grates, I think, mm. with the way that we <laughs> see politics. And it's quite incredible, the response. We've been, I've been but really the wall is, is remarkable. Is it, apparently that they, they've discovered 200 tunnels in the last yeah. 20 years, you know, from the Mexico to the to the US side, and you think if the Mexicans are building tunnels when there is no wall, <laughs> what is the point of building the wall? <laughs> and why on earth would they want to come to the United States when he's president too, you know? <laughs> Travelling the other yeah, way, yeah, won't yeah, they? Exactly. But keep people in. My, um, yesterday, we were, we, were, uh, we were having breakfast and um, my husband and I were discussing how shocked we were that he'd implemented I don't know why we were shocked that he'd implemented it, because he's Donald Trump and he had like two policies and one of them was ban Muslims from entering the country and oh look what he's done um, but we were talking about it and my daughter who is as you know three and a half she said mummy what, daddy what are you talking about and we said well there's a man he's president he's, uh, he's not being very nice to people from other countries and we should be welcoming to everyone and she just looked at us and said why don't you just give him a star chart yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought well actually maybe that's a good idea yeah. if you don't ban any large groups of people for seven days you'll get a treat Donald it's good, it's good in theory but he won't be able to get up the naughty step because of his phobia <laughs> <laughs> I have to lead him up there I mean I'm, I'm, I'm always in two minds when a country like the UK starts talking about banning things because I think we're, we are more we're better than that the problem is the word state, the phrase state visit, it being sanctioned by the Queen. I mean, it's bizarre anyway. It's not, you know, it's not really the Queen. It's not like she's going to, apparently, there's a guy who hates all Muslims and Philip's gone, let's get him round for dinner. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know how popular this would be. I think get him over here, sit him down, sit him next to bloody David Dimbleby if we can. Let's have a debate with him on our territory. Let's not shy away from people like this. You know, this is the UK. We don't have to ban things because we don't uh, agree with them. We should bring it in and have that debate out and have him on, well, on home. So it shows more confidence, I think. Trump, Trump's mother was Scottish, wasn't it? Yeah, Apparently yeah. she loved the Queen, so he's desperate to come well, over it's here. It's funny you should mention that because I was at a burn supper in the very village that Donald Trump's mother was born in just the other evening there and 
Tong, it's called, up in the Isle of Lewis. And, and, and they could, bur- burning a wicker man in her absence. Yes, <laughs> all I can say is... It's a different it's, it's type a, of burn site. It's a very much mixed response that you get up there, and there's a, a real palpable sense of embarrassment, almost, for this small community. And, and Trump turned up, and he visited the island, visited the village. He came in his big jet, and had a pipe band that turned up. And, you know, after spending 97 seconds at his mother's cottage, he came and said, hey, I feel really Scottish now. I can back in touch with my roots, you know, after spending just about a minute in that place. Would, he, would he be entitled to, then, if he had us to a Scottish passport <laughs> in the event of this independence referendum? Well, we're welcoming to most people. <laughs> and we'd like to extend the hands of friendship and accommodation. But, uh, Free movement bar one. Yeah. But the, in terms of um, him coming over, presumably like Obama, he would stay in Buckingham Palace. Oh. I'm, not, I'm not sure he would actually like Buckingham Palace. I mean, probably not quite gold enough for his <laughs> tastes. I like the he's also like I don't I don't want to meet Prince Charles. I want you know I want Prince William and Harry. Now the idea of William and Harry, given that he once said. I'm going to nail their mother. Yeah. I mean, you didn't say their mother, but I want to nail Diana. I'm not sure they'd be that welcoming. Well, no, but also, I mean, don't they'd be that welcoming, but also, I don't... Harry and Melania. Now, there's an interesting combo when she's staying at Buckingham Palace, isn't it? You know, I could have shagged your mother 20 years ago. Isn't quite as good as, well, I played strip billiards with your wife last night. Yeah, that would be awesome. Mill, mill, mill. <laughs> But in, t- in terms of the policies, he was saying torture was OK, waterboarding works, even Mad Dog, or whatever his defence chief is known, was saying it doesn't work. But George Bush thought it worked, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, there, was a, yeah. there was a case, I think it was Abu Zubaydah, yeah, yeah, um, right. which was supposed to be an al-Qaeda informative, wasn't it? Said that there was going to be a Washington dirty bomb, then said that uh, al-Qaeda had links with Saddam. Both of them proved to be false under torture, as was the fact that this bloke was, in fact, an Al-Qaeda operative, wasn't it? And although everybody says it's bullshit, George Bush, even when he's writing his own book, makes himself sound like an arse. It's, it's, it's quite a talent. Well, you know, the, the most famous... Well, there been lots of famous special relationships. There's, there's Mark Thatcher and Reagan, there was Bush and Blair. And the one that seems most unbelievable, you know, is, is Trump and Theresa May, because they are just so entirely different. I mean, I don't know if anybody sees what she's Theresa. I mean, she's, all, she's got this really haunted look on her face all the time when she's answering questions. It's, <laughs> it's like she's... I mean, I think Matt Ford says it's like she's remembered something really awful in her childhood and her mouth drops a little bit like this. And it's just a strange way she's doing it. And to, to see her with Donald Trump, who's, you know, like the, the prime example of the extroverted narcissist, and, like, the two of them together... It's, well, how can you, given that he is such a narcissist, you can't have a special relationship, given that he's such a special relationship with himself, <laughs> exactly. isn't it? <laughs> it was like watching a really, really... Do you remember a blind date when there was a really bad date and they went away? It was like watching that, wasn't it? It had, like, all the chemistry of a sort of paving slab. Yes. <laughs> and this after the inauguration where all the photos showing that Obama had got far more people, but no, this was the most people who'd ever turned out for an inauguration period or whatever they said. And it was like, oh yeah, we had the same amount of people, only they looked much smaller on camera because they were slimmer or <laughs> whatever. Whatever bullshit <laughs> we had excuse. skinnier people, that's what yeah. we had. Yeah. Yeah. It's closer together. They put this poor guy, Sean Spicer, out who's, who <laughs> seems to do all the, the response to the media and 
and does all the press conferences and he's got the job of trying to sort of relay this to the press and he is going to prove to be probably the most amusing press spokesperson <laughs> since uh, Comical Alley. Remember that? You know, he's got that little bit about, he's not got the exaggerated sort of hand movements and way of speaking but you know like it's, it's almost the same as expected to present and dis- defend and define what is just the absurd something so he's going to be fascinating to watch for the next few years and months. And you've been over there recently Bryony, you, you were over there um, last year and I think you were over there when the, the Brussels terrorist attack was on and uh, as a show of solidarity on the, the Freedom Tower, the Americans put up the, the French flag. Is that right? As a show of solidarity to the people of, of Belgium. Like the, so, way, the way they were going on about it on the news, they were like... They, they honestly said they... On, I, I don't know why I chose to watch Fox, watch Fox News, but sometimes you just you really want to wind yourself up. They were like, all Americans in Europe should stay inside. I'm like, all of Europe? Like, I was watching it and imagining like a scene from Game of Thrones, like medieval kind of flames... And I called my mum and, and I was like, Mum, Mum, what's going on? What's going on? And, and then I realised that there's a sort of horrible culture of fear. And, you know, we talk about, they, you know, talking about not letting in people from seven different Muslim countries. But, you know, even just going as a blonde white woman, it's the most unfriendly experience yeah. at, um, at, at passport control. And I thought to myself... Actually, you know, I'd, I'd so much rather live in the EU than in Donald Trump's America. And that was back in March. But I didn't actually think Donald Trump's America was ever going to happen. No. Actually, I didn't think, that, I didn't think Brexit was going to happen no, either. So it, it was just, it, it all sort of thrived on a culture of fear. And, you know, I think we're better than that and we're bigger than that. And I remember, I always remember like after the 7-7 bombings, that brilliant, which was awful. But the next day, everyone just got back on the tube, you know. I love that sort of just get on with it and... And, uh, and I think you're right. I think we should. I think he should come, and I think we should show him how you know ballsy we are. And yeah, let's protest peacefully. Let's have debates. Let's let's grill him over here, rather than go. Oh, let's just keep the thing away that we not don't agree with. It's not. A... I'd like to get him on question time with you. That's what I think. Next to Dimble, I had a panic attack during the night before I went on question time. That I'd be asked about a country and I didn't know where it was, and my career would be over. <laughs> like, like, like you go. And what do you think of Turkmenistan? Like, oh God! Oh God! Where's Turkmenistan? It, it, it'd be like. <laughs> Be that that bloke uh, who was standing for the American president there, wasn't it? Yeah. What do you think of Aleppo? I'm terribly sorry, I have no idea what Aleppo is. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, Brian, you've been, you've been very busy yourself. You've set up mental health mates yeah it's a, a a walk and talk people can walk and talk yeah it's actually a, a today a year ago we set it up so um i have become sort of an accidental people say oh you've become an accidental poster girl for mental illness and i was like well that was the only thing i was ever going to become a poster girl for <laughs> it's going to be bikinis or lipstick or but um, I have uh, always, since I was 12, I've had OCD. Um, and people always say, oh, I'm a little bit OCD. And, and it's sort of, OCD is really debilitating. I mean, it's called obsessive compulsive disorder. And people think it's all about, you know, being clean. And my husband sometimes says to me, I wish you had the good type of OCD. Because, <laughs> like, people always say to me, oh, God, I'm so OCD. You should see my sock drawer. I'm like, I don't have a fucking sock drawer. I have a floor drobe. Um, and anyway, I have this horrible form of OCD called Pure O, which manifests itself. I describe OCD as like your brain refusing to acknowledge what your eye can see. So be that, that the oven is off, that the candles are out, that you haven't just run over a child in the road, it's just a speed bump, or that you haven't just murdered someone. When I was 17, I thought I was a serial killer and I blanked it all out in shock. And I just had this thing and I didn't know it was OCD because OCD to me was this kind of slightly comedy thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I kept it to myself. So I got it when I first had it when I was 12 all the way till I was 34, basically. I'm now 36. And, um, and then I thought I had enough of it. I got, after I had my daughter, I had a really bad episode and the, the, worst thing, the worst episode of it all, which was I thought maybe I might have molested my own child and then blanked it out. This is a form of pure own. It's incredibly common, but no one talks about it. Because it's not really dinner party chat, no. is it? I just want to ask something to everyone. Did I or did I yeah. not? And, like, and, like, and can you imagine that? And I, I mean, this, this might be why me and my husband haven't had sex for a very long time. Yeah. Because I'm like... We're definitely getting a fuller did, picture. Did I, <laughs> did, like, I'm like this, like manically doing that. But no, it's a really horrible illness and it's really common. And lots of people... And you know, people with this type of OCD are the least likely to... You know, to 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 do that those kind of things. But you know, we all have those thoughts. Like you're standing on the tube platform, and you think, "What if I just push that person under the central line?" Or someone hands you their newborn baby, and you think, "Fuck, what if I dropped it?" But someone with OCD goes, "Oh my god, I've had this thought. This means I'm a terrible human being." Anyway, blah 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 blah. I get it. I got it. this time last year. I was just finishing up writing writing my book about mental illness called Mad Girl, which is out now in all good and bad bookshops. And um, it, uh, and who knew that writing a book about mental illness might make you a bit mentally ill? And <laughs> I was really, really ill this time last year. And um, when I'm ill, I do, I do what I think I can't do, which is just to carry on living. And I basically go outside and I run. And you can tell I'm very athletic. <laughs> but just until I look like I've been in the glare of a nuclear bomb, which is for about kind of 15 minutes. And, and I was out there, so it was the 30th of January 2016, and I was listening, instead of to like my usual soundtrack of Take That, to, I thought, oh, I, I'm going to try and improve my mind, I'm going to listen to Radio 4. Jarvis Cocker had a documentary on about Carson McCullers, who was this 
um, writer who wrote exquisitely about loneliness, Hearts a Lonely Hunter, and she very sadly died of alcoholism in her 50s, several suicide attempts. Um, and there was this archive audio footage of her, and she said, sometimes it feels like everyone is part of a we, except for me. And it literally stopped me in my tracks, and I thought, you were part of a we, you just didn't know it. So I go home and I was like, I'm going to do this thing. I was like, what if I set up this group and we can just, you know, you've got AA, you've got NA, you kind of got all these things, but mental illness, that affects one in four of us. Like how many people in this room have experienced mental illness or know people that have experienced mental illness? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's so common. And, and what I've realised from writing about it extensively in The Telegraph is that it's really, really, really fucking normal to feel weird, okay? It's as normal as getting a cold. It's as normal as having mm-hmm. a flu and we need to treat it as such. So I thought going outside is a, is a really great... You know, it's, it seems like a tiny thing, but when you're in the grips of a depression, it's one of the hardest things at all. So I went on Twitter and was like, what about we set up this group? And my husband was like, are you high? And I was like, I am on a lot of diazepam. And then he said, but what if a load of nutters turn up? And I was like, that's the point. (laughs) Anyway, so I did it and I said, Valentine's Day, I'll be at this cafe in High Park. And 20 people turned up and it's just grown. And now people all over the country, you know, people have got in touch. And it's like this self-supporting thing. So we create warp packs. We've got them all over the country. We've got, got, they're even in America, Dubai, Bangalore. And it's all about creating your own community. Um, the tagline is helping you find your weed. Yeah. Which, which looks better <laughs> written down on the website, I'll be I honest. Have to say, when I'm like, if, if you want to like find us on Twitter, I'm like, at find your weed, that's W E. Um, but I, I just, it really stuck with me. And it, it's such a simple idea. And it's been so incredible to see how it's grown. And, and now I'm doing the... I've sort of taught myself into doing the, the marathon for, for Heads Together, who are the official charity of the, um, of the London Marathon this year. And people are like, you know, it's going to be really hard. I'm like, God, no, we thought it was going to be really easy, like a walk in the park. But no, it's going to be really hard. But I feel like running 26.2 miles, there's no way that can be any harder than the days when I haven't been able to move at all because of the crushing weight of depression on my chest. So um, I just... I think it's so important to talk about it. Yeah, and, and exercise in terms of zoning out and getting some good vibes is a good way to do it. So you, you actually walk and talk with you yeah, on the, the mental health mates. The thing about, the thing about walking and talking is that you don't... There's that kind of... when you I don't know if anyone's ever been kind of uh, told to go to group therapy sessions and you all sort of sit in a circle and stare at each other in a really grubby room that's kind of like nicotine-stained and from years ago and you think this is really depressing and I don't want to you know it's quite confrontational the really great thing about walking and talking is that you just kind of get into a flow and you might not even be talking about your mental health you could be talking about what you're seeing or what you're but it's just and it's the most amazing thing to see people turn up who are completely you know you almost think if I don't go and grab that person now they're going to run away they're not going to come can I ask a question do do more women (coughs) turn up than men because I work with, uh, <clears throat> not name dropping, but I will whenever I can, Rethink. I'm an ambassador for Rethink, who do precisely all this stuff, trying to change the dialogue around mental health. There is a massive disproportionate problem um, with men not talking about their mental health. Well, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a man under the age of 45 in the UK, the thing most likely to kill you is not cancer, it's not a car, it's not a gun, it's not alcohol, it's yourself. And that's just it's not acceptable. And, and actually, the figures are getting worse and worse for women too. Um, but yeah, we do get we do get 
a, a high proportion of women compared to men, but but more and more men are coming, which every time a man comes, I kind of want to run up and hug him, and then I'm thinking, that might look a bit odd. Well, men, we don't, we don't have the support networks that women do there, you know, in terms of, you know, women will quite happily go to another woman, oh, I'm off to the toilet, will you come with me? You say that to another bloke, and, it, you know, <laughs> there's some strange looks, usually. Yeah, well, I, I think it's all... But I think also in Britain, we've had, you know, that stiff upper lip thing. It's bollocks, and it's quite literally killed people, you <clears> know? A, I read this brilliant book, we'll have to do book recommendations, called The, um, called the Village Effect by Susan Pinker. Did anyone read it? Stephen Pinker's sister. And um, so this happens all around the world. It's not just stiff upper lip Britain. Everywhere around the world, male suicide rate, three, four, five, six, seven times higher. Men, like you say... We don't go to the loo and have a chat while we're weeing. That's just the start of it. We don't do anything. We're like, oh, Gary's having a breakdown, legend, and then sort of walk off. (laughs) (laughs) But there are a few places in the world where men don't just have equivalent rates of mental illness or or lower, but they also, the disparity between male and female longevity disappears. All Western countries, women live longer than men, five to seven years, um, and there are less male centenarians than there are. But certain pockets of the world, this doesn't happen. And Susan Pinker's theory is the geographical quirks of these areas, normally mountain villages, mean that men can't isolate themselves. Men tend to get to a certain age, shut the door, miserable, chair in the corner, don't want to speak to anyone, don't want visitors, heart attack, death. That's the male pattern. (laughs) Whereas in, for example, this is just one example, this particular Sardinian um, mountainside, the, the granddads, they can't isolate them. The aunts are walking through, the cousins are walking through, morning, Giorgio. There seems to be a cardiological and neuroprotective benefit of sharing problems, which your thing is mm. smashing head on. But it also, also, over a lifetime, seems to affect men because we're, we're either raised that way or something in our makeup means we, we have more of a tendency and it's, and to. And basically, it's just talking, isn't it? It's, you know, just talking out loud to people. But no one has ever got better from a mental illness by not talking about it. I mean, we know talking therapies are what, and you know, you may get better briefly, but it'll it'll probably come back. And the other thing is, is that the one thing I've learned is that what all mental illness has in common with it, being with each other, be it eating disorder, depression, OCD, whatever is that it lies to you. It tells you you're a freak. It tells you you're alone. It tells you that no one else is going to understand the way you're feeling. And that's how it thrives. And the moment you go to a group and someone goes, like a woman that looks like me says, yeah, I've sometimes thought I was a paedophile too. It's like, oh, it's just a fucking stupid illness. You know, like I have a name for my OCD, which is Jareth the Goblin King, because he's sort of like, you know, in David Bowie and Labyrinth, kind of enticing, but essentially evil. And you can, if you can just kind of take it out of you, and it's really powerful. And, and rates are going up, and some fingers being sort of pointed at social media for this. But I don't think. I, I mean, I think social media. I, I think it can be unhealthy. Obviously, you know, the kind of the selfie culture and stuff. It's unhelpful. But I don't think rates are really going up. I think we're just talking about it more often. I mean, could, if you're telling. Can I just Brian because um like. Theresa May's famous speech a couple of weeks ago where mm. mental health was going to be addressed and a bigger resource was going to be going in. And, and as long as I've been a member of Parliament, which is not for, for being far too long, there's always been a talk about parity with physical health. Bollocks. And, you know, like, is, is there a sense... I mean, I think there's a, a greater understanding politically and about the need to make sure this is properly resourced, but is there a sense that this is actually getting down there and people are actually securing that extra funding and support? Um, no, no, in a word. And that's why groups like Mental Health Mates are springing up, because people can't find... They, you know, you, you, I mean, you go to a, a doctor and they will, 
they will sort of say, I mean, this is the thing, this is why antidepressants, and I'm a big fan of antidepressants, and I hate the way we talk about them as we do, like, cocaine and heroin, like, oh, when are you going to come off them, you know? Are we hooked on them? In a way, you just wouldn't say to, say, someone who had asthma and, you know, had an inhaler or someone who had type yeah. on diabetes. And there's this whole terrible thing, but you go to a doctor and that's all they have. They can't, if they say to you, well, okay, I have got something that's going to make you better, but we're going to shove you on a waiting list and it could take six months. Well, you're going to come out feeling a hell of a lot bleaker. And, but we need, the do doctors need to be much better, you know, the NHS needs to be much better, the government needs much better about, uh, you know, about getting out the message that it's not just antidepressants, it's not just therapy, it's an entire, like, it's, it's really boring, but it is just eating well, it is moving, it's getting out there, it's feeling the thrum of other heartbeats around you, yeah. you know, and not isolating yourself. And I'm not, look, I'm not an athletic human being at all, but I ran five miles today and I felt high as a kite afterwards. And the change in me between this time last year when I could barely, I was in a complete state suicidal to now is incredible. And I know I'll probably get ill again, but that's come from mental health mates and the walking and the sharing and the talking. And I would just say if anyone in here felt lost, do get in touch at Find Your Wee, but with W-E, not yeah. Wee. Yeah. <laughs> Very moving. You you are parliamentary tweeter of the year, Pete. Yes. Well, um, have you been cyber bullied? Have uh, you? Are you a cyber bully? Well, it was quite remarkable because I won the contest in 2014-15, and it was the first time they ever held the parliamentary tweeter of the year contest, and they've suddenly abandoned it. So it's almost like Brazil winning the World Cup three times. I get to keep the the crown, you know, for the rest of eternity. So I could always refer to myself as such. And as you tweeting, are you there thinking, oh, that's not a very good one? That's not not up to the standard of parliamentary tweeter of the year. That's not. Right, well, I just retweet you. That seems to get me all, 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 all right. But like. It's, it's, it's a great bit for, for, for politicians. It's, we get lots and lots of dreadful abuse, horrible things said to us, and people feel that there's a, a right and a sort of ownership because you are an MP and a public figure that they can say whatever they like to you. And, you know, I mean, the, you do get lots of... But a lot of really good, good things. The thing about Twitter and social media is it does allow a means to communicate that I never had when I was first an MP. You're able to say things that's out there. You're able to pick up interesting articles that you think you'd like to share with people who hopefully are politically like-minded. So, you know, it's a curse and a blessing, but it's totally and utterly a huge feature of political life. Now, I, I don't know any members of parliament who aren't on Twitter and aren't active on Twitter because, you know, you're losing such a, a meaningful way to communicate, to absorb information and to make sure it's going to be transmitted and, you know, passed on. And Russell, you, you do a caning where you, you take a topic, a, a trending right. topic, and, uh, and give, it, give it a good caning. You've, um, you've been caning uh, Southern Rail recently. I've done that. What happened was, I was doing this series called Stupid Man Smartphone for BBC Two, and, and it was on iPlayer as well, obviously. And uh, I had to go different corners of the globe and survive using only a smartphone. So you got dumped on a mountain, you get a mission, and then you have to tweet, can I make water from snow bubble? So I survived with the fact, and I took a different online star with me. This is the new world that's coming. Are you like Bear Grylls? Yeah, no, that's the point. It's called Stupid Man Smartphone. So I ended up like, crying like and peering in the bushes. Basically, he was Googling Bear Grylls to find exactly. out what he should be doing. All of that. And um, one of these, on the, I was filming the third episode, and this guy called Mazzy Maz, who, this YouTube star I'd never heard of, there were girls <laughs> crying at Heathrow when we got off the plane. And when we landed in Warsaw to film, there were Polish versions of the same girls crying. I mean, this is, these are these YouTube stars are massive. He said to me, why don't one of you guys ever just do stand-up down your phone and put it online? It doesn't really work like that. Like, we've been it for months, and we do it on TV. And I got both thought, man, I thought, why don't I just freaking do it? So I went down, literally down my shed, 
Uh, put my phone. Thought this is. I'm gonna. Everyone's gonna mock me for this. Went like that with the news. Didn't pick something I cared about. Just went like that with something in the newspaper. Whatever the story was, Kanye West had done something ridiculous, and just started ranting. Um, like pre-recorded, not live. And then I cut it up. Uh, took about an hour to edit it. And people, it's so late the way you've done the sort of Goddard jump cuts. Like, no, I've got one camera. How else are you going to film <laughs> on one camera? You're obviously going to appear over the other side of the room. I'm not doing it to be trendy. And the first one, like 40,000 people, I was like, 40,000 people just watched me making fun of Kanye. And then I worked out it's better if you pick a single issue. And then I did this one about the sugar tax. And Bang, 800,000 people watched it. It ended up in the newspaper. Theresa May's being... Oh, not Theresa May, whoever was in... You know, I was going That's more than Southern Rail have, have been transporting yeah. over the last year. So <laughs> it's great because normally as a comedian, you're thinking, right, I've got to wait for the Apollo or the Royal Variety or I'm doing this thing on Comedy Central. But I can think, right, I want, you know, I want to, I've got some comedy. I want to do some stuff to a quarter of a million people now. Like, I've just put one up the other day, taking the piss out of Theresa May, grovelling about the special relationship with Trump and everything. So a, a while back, I'm not a Southern Rail passenger, I have to say, but I, it was the most requested topic. I kept saying, well, I don't live in Brighton. Everyone said, please, can Southern Rail, please. <laughs> so I thought, well, where can, I, where can I go with this? Because you can either make fun of the... If not you to Brighton. Go, if you have nowhere. <laughs> Clapham it's stuck at Clapham sobbing. Not to Milton Keynes. Um, yeah. if not you, to Clapham Junction. If you don't know what it's about, anyone listening to this, it's to do with the guards on the train, the ones that go beep, 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 press the button, check the platforms clear for everyone's safe to get on, then everyone gets on, beep, 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 they press the button and everyone gets back on again. So they want to get rid of that job. And some say that there's a safety implication if they get rid of that job. Take, and in fact, they're getting rid of lots of men and w women's jobs. I mean, that's not a small thing. And so they started striking and they kept striking and it got worse and worse and worse. And I thought, why is no one making fun of the guy right at the very top. How, I'm not like super lefty or anything, I promise I'm not, but on this occasion, the guy that runs the go-ahead group, which most people in this room are listening to have never heard of, I thought it was a, a chocolate biscuit you didn't have to feel guilty about, right? <laughs> There's a guy called David Brown, anyone heard of him? No, he's got, he just paid himself two million quid in July, bearing in mind the government's bankrolling a lot of these companies, Govia and Southern Rail and Go Ahead. He just paid himself two million quid for a failing company with a dispute he can't even resolve. And, it, and we spend our lives taking, taking the piss out of some guy just because his job's become outdated or having to go at the commuters for being irascible. But really, the problem is this guy right at the very top. The things that got so bad on Southern Rail, though, isn't it, is that when the passengers hear there's a bus replacement service, they cheer. That's, yeah. that's how bad they've got. But you're right, it's all about who's, who operates the doors. They, they want the train drivers to operate the doors because they're saying the guards, they have to give them extra training to operate the doors. But I always think when the train stops, you press that button, don't you? I, have to, yeah. I live on the Southern Rail route and I've never ever seen a guard operate I, I I mean if I like actually now I'm like excuse me can someone come and open this door for me yeah are you up by the door going where's the guard I can't get off <laughs> oh, god I'm just gonna have to go well, all the way to Brighton you, you press the button don't you when it beeps you get on you then press the button again it closes you think well I've had no training but I think I'm pretty good at this yeah but they, they're not, I'm not, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. They, they, they don't just do that when it's late and stuff. They're checking, you know, the travellers who might be more vulnerable and safe and they're looking up and down the platform and, you know. It, it's not a bad job to exist. I get it, like, people move, move on. It's just the same argument that says, oh, maybe we should pay for GPs. It's like, yeah, OK, maybe we should, but then again, why can't we live in a world we don't have to pay for GPs and we do have train guards and some fucker doesn't get paid two million quid at the top of the tree. Mm. <laughs> so we'll go to questions now. We're running out of time. Just before we do, I've got a chance to remind everybody who we've 
we've got coming up. It's the last Monday of the month. And so uh, end of February, we've got Owen Jones, who organised the march today. Wow. Owen Jones from the Garden will be uh, coming, coming along. He'll be here with Stephen Kinnock, MP, and with uh, Joe Caulfield. And then in March, we've got Rich Hall. He'll be here with Jess Phillips, MP, mm -hmm. and Hugo Rifkin from The Times. That'll um, be a good one. Lovely, yeah. thank you very much. Hopefully they'll all be good ones, rather than... Yeah. 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 Rather than uh, tonight's crap. Shame uh, about this one, but... Yeah. Yeah. You'll get over that I'll one. definitely come along to that <laughs> And one. April, we've got Nick Clegg coming along uh, with yeah, Matt Ford. In? We'll be a good one. We'll yes. be a good one. Oh, Pete does a lot of work with Matt, so uh, with MP4. So, yeah, please uh, come along to one of those. Also, if anybody's listening on the podcast, um, any questions, andyparsons.co.uk. So, hands up. We haven't got much time. Hands up. Lady at the back has got a question, so if we could get the microphone over there. Um, I have a friend who has the same sort of OCD that you were describing and um, yeah, it's, it sounds very, very horrible and I just kind of wanted to ask um, how I can be a good friend to her when she's going through a particularly bad time with her OCD. Um, you just be a friend and be incredibly tolerant and I just think being there for someone and being able to offer them a shoulder and get, like try and get her out of the house. You know, go for walks. Don't take her to the pub to get pissed. I say, I mean, I'm the only one that's come on stage with a glass, with a with a beer. But you know, to be like, fair, the MP did have one yes, backstage, but thought it would look better if he came <laughs> on towards it. I almost got away with it. Like I said, he had a whiskey and a kilt, but he was totally <laughs> Just you know, be kind to her and let her be make her be kind to herself as well, and let and tell her to come along to a mental health mix or email me. Um, just briny at mentalhealthmates.co.uk oh you can buy her my book <laughs> lovely you need it or rent it from a library do that rent it from a library for her we, we've only really got time for one more so uh, we've got a lady down the front here um, I have a question for, for everyone but the Scots among you may be able to answer better with your long history of wall building um, so I'd, I'd like some practical action to take away from today I understand Donald Trump really likes golf courses you seem to be good at walls can we wall him in what can we do to take action if he comes to the country and um, you know I, I'd be willing to send you some bricks yeah, so I'm wondering no, what you'd do with them and I'm not sure you built that, that wall that, that the lady that was, refers to we can't claim that was the Romans so perhaps we could ask for some of their <laughs> no, assistance but like Donald blame, honestly <laughs> <laughs> but Donald, you're right Donald someone Trump, else, he's it? got a whole whole set of golf courses in Scotland just now and, and of course he was made a global ambassador for Scotland which we just rescinded once all the other stuff <laughs> happened but like um, uh, does anybody remember the photo when the, yeah, there's this huge issue and when he was trying to redevelop his golf course and he came to Scotland to try and kick people off, off their ground and it was just one woman with one banner and I won't say the word but it begins with C and ends with unt and that was all that was it was standing there you know it wasn't, in a protest it wasn't it wasn't capitalist <laughs> and Theresa May went to he said oh he said uh, when the last time I was in Scotland uh, it was the day before Brexit and every, everybody was scorning me because I predicted it turns out he actually was there the day afterwards and that's why people were scorning him for predicting it because it happened the day before <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, we, we're going to have to wrap up proceedings now. Thank you very much for coming. If people are listening on the podcast, then uh, please subscribe. It means it goes straight into your inbox and it means we can keep it free. So, uh, please do that. There's no cost involved. Just one click. We'll just wait very quietly while you do that. OK, brilliant. Well done for that. Um, so, yeah, please spread the word. We're the last Monday of the month. Please tell everybody about it. Get people down. Tell people about the podcast from Tiny Acorns. 
Who knows what can grow, ladies and gentlemen, provided the little squirrels don't snaffle them. So that's, that's my message to you. If you want to get involved, we try and encourage people to do one thing in between shows. So, Brani, one more time, if people would get involved with Mental Health Mates, what's the, the address? Uh, uh, mentalhealthmates.co.uk, uh, or you can email me, Brani, at mentalhealthmates.co.uk, or Twitter, at findyourwee, or on Instagram. There's plenty of places. For your well-being, they, they suggest one of the things you can do is think of five things that you love and try and do as many of them as you can every day. And apparently our top five in the UK are a cuddle, somebody saying I love you, coffee, chocolate and clean sheets. But I was thinking if you're having a cuddle with somebody saying I love you and there's coffee and there's chocolate, <laughs> those un- sheets are unlikely to be clean, are they? <laughs> <laughs> so many thanks to our panel tonight. Hopefully we've had a good time, ladies and gentlemen. Spread the word. Good luck. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.